Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. Uh, well, well, listen, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, for those who don't know, I run a site called Worthy News. Worthy News um, is, a, is a site that's really founded on the verse, watch ye therefore and pray, always they may be found worthy to escape these things. The first thing is about being a watchman. We're all called to be watchmen. If the watchman doesn't sound, the shofar doesn't warn that judgment is coming, the blood is required at the watchman's hands. We have a job and a duty to warn people. The other thing is to pray always. Well, how can you effectively pray if you don't actually really know what's happening, right? And then finally, that we may be found worthy to escape these things. You know, uh, the very first words of Yeshua's mouth talking about the last days was, take heed that no man deceive you, which would mean that there'd be a lot of liars. So the next time you turn on CNN and you're watching it and you're like, I can't believe they're lying to me, say, praise Yeshua, they're proving his words true. I mean, that is the reality of the news that we have. So I take very, care, I take very special caution about what we post up. I, I vet it out I, before it even goes up, but it's the, the news that's most worthy for the day. Now, today I'm going to talk really about, um, you know, the coming of the Lord. And in order to understand, you have to understand that there are two messiahs that the rabbis think are coming even though it's one Messiah that's come two times, or is coming a second time. The rabbis say that there's scriptures that don't seem to line up. For example, there's a Messiah that is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Well, that, that doesn't seem to make sense about, compared to scriptures talking about him coming to establish a kingdom. And so they, they've turned this out, and they call it Mashiach ben Yosef, or the Messiah, the son of Joseph. All the passages, all the messianic passages dealing with a suffering Messiah, they say that must be connected to a Messiah that's the suffering servant. They don't recognize this as Yeshua's coming the first time. They're trying to figure out how to place this together. And then all the passages talk about him coming as king, Mashiach ben David, or the Messiah, son of David, they connect to the Messiah. And so they have this understanding that they believe there's actually two Messiahs coming. Actually, in the Talmud is a very, very crazy passages within the Talmud that talk about that Mashiach ben Yosef will come, that he will die in battle, that they will drag his, his body to Jerusalem, and they'll warn and wail, and they'll say, why does, was this allowed to happen? It's because their hearts weren't ready for the Messiah, and that Messiah ben David's going to come and raise them from the dead. Gee, that sounds like a lot like Revelation 13. But in order to understand, you know, what they believe, you also have to understand that there are passages that really make a whole lot of sense for us as believers. Because, ready, it's not two messiahs. 
He came first as a suffering Messiah to deal with the sin issue. To deal with the issue that keeps us away, that doesn't allow us to have a personal relationship with God. And he's coming as king. And in order to understand this, I really want to focus on the types of people that join themselves to David. Because if you understand the types of people that join themselves to David, it really is a picture of us today. Because you have to understand, when David was anointed king, he didn't take his kingship right away. He actually, you know, was, it was, it was a king in name only. He had not taken his throne yet. And as later in Hebron, when he gets anointed king, that he takes his throne and takes Jerusalem. And so you start understanding these things. And the types of people that joined themselves to David were not the, you know, the, the best people. They weren't like, you know, they weren't the, 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 the cream of the crop. These were people that were in distress, in debt, everyone is bitter in soul. They, it says, the Lord says, I'm going to the highways and the byways and gathering people from all over. And that's what he does. He's gathering people. And the amazing thing was that they had a vision. Those that joined themselves to David knew in their hearts that David was going to be king. That they were actually going to be princes of a kingdom that was coming. That is us. We anticipate a kingdom that's coming. Now, the people that joined themselves to David were in distress, in debt. They were not the best of best. But what happened was when they joined themselves to David, they saw David slaughtered Goliath. They transformed from people in distress and perplexed and in debt, and they became mighty men in the war. We are fighting a spiritual war. And most people don't understand that in war, there are bloody battles. And people think, oh, I'm just coming to the kingdom. I'm going to come to the kingdom. Everything's going to be great. No, you just entered a war you didn't realize you were a part of. And now you're fighting the kingdom of darkness. You have to realize there's an enemy that's trying to rob, kill, and destroy us. And now God is trying to equip you, trying to make you a mighty man of war. Now notice this. They were bowmen who could shoot arrows and sling stones with either the right or the left hand. Now, I'm left-handed. I can throw a ball left-handed, no problem. I start throwing right-handed. I'm throwing, I don't want to say this in the negative way. I'm throwing like a girl. Now, if you have to, if you start throwing with the opposite hand, you have to train. I mean, it, it, it doesn't come overnight. That is intercessory prayer. To, to be an intercessor, to fight the spiritual war, it doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come easily. You actually have to fight through all the thoughts that come into your mind. All the stuff that tries to keep you from praying. All the, that, that tries to keep us distracted. And you have to understand that we're in this middle of this war and God's trying to equip you to fight. Now, if you notice the same passage, I'm in 2 Chronicles 12. If you want to actually study this passage out, it's very fascinating. But here were these mighty men, these men that were in distress and dread. And now all of a sudden within them, people looked at them and said, wow, they got faces like lions. What had happened was they were so transformed from the inside that it appeared from the outside they were different. 
the, the transformation that Yeshua should do for us is take us from this place of distress and, and transform us. And people look at us and say, there's something different. They got faces like lions. They're swift as gazelles. These were the men that crossed the Jordan in the first month. Now I want you to recognize this. These were not procrastinators. They didn't say to, to, the, the, to David, hey, David, David, listen, why are we crossing in the first month? The water's really high. It's like my, I told my wife, I'm taking the kids water rafting. She goes, why are you going to April? It's cold. I said, no, the water's high. You get all kinds of rapids that way. Now, if you go ahead and go through in the middle of April, it, the the water's high. You're like, why are you crossing now? David, David, we should wait till the summer. The water's going to be a lot lower. Then they could have made the excuse in the summer, David, it's too hot. Because he said, wait, let's wait till the fall. Fall could have come and said, oh, let's wait for the harvest. We should wait till the harvest is over. Could have got to the winter. So you can procrastinate away good excuses. But if you are a mighty man of war, you're not going to look at obstacles as a problem. We've had, I know this service is going to be a great service. Why? Because you wouldn't believe all the obstacles we had to deal with this weekend. And when you know it's like that, you know it's going to be something special. And so here it is. It's not, you look at these obstacles and they were saying, hey, let's cross it. When they crossed it, yeah, when they crossed the Jordan the first month when it was overflowing, they put the flight, all those in the valleys. When the men were singing them, what are they crazy crossing a river? What are they crazy crossing this obstacle? They said, they got the heart to fight that we don't have. If you start looking at your obstacles as a, a, a hey, it's just another thing I got to deal with, you're going to go with life a whole lot easier. And we're all going to have Goliaths in our lives, right? And David probably looked at Goliath and said, he's so big, I can't miss now. See, it's the way you look at things. And so here it is, they cross the Jordan and they put him to flight. And if you notice this, they helped David against a band of raiders. Now, whether you realize it or not, we're in this spiritual war and the enemy is always trying to enter our camp. And not only trying to enter our camp, trying to divide us. If you ever watch um, the National Geographic, you're watching the wildebeest, and they cross, these millions of wildebeest cross the Serengeti, and they all cross, and the lions don't attack the herd. They sit and wait. They look for the one stupid wildebeest that says, the grass is greener on the other side. That wildebeest goes off and says, oh, look, the grass is so good over here, I get to... They're by themselves. The lions surround them. He can't get back to the herd. There was safety in the herd. The enemy wants to divide us all the time. He's trying to divide us. I guarantee you the men that followed David all did not get along. I guarantee you there were personality conflicts within the army. But they had a mind. They had a mind. Notice this. They came to David, David, until there was a great army like the great army of God. That is what the Lord is putting together in these last days. He's putting together the great army of God.
And we have to recognize the enemy's tactics of trying to divide. There are certain things that should not divide congregations. For example, if there's a, a vote saying, should we have the carpet red or should we have the carpet blue, that shouldn't divide a congregation. There are things that divide that shouldn't divide. And I start thinking to myself, my goodness, how did the enemy get into something so stupid as this? Don't divide over something stupid. <laughs> Forgive and forget. And just love on one another. Notice this, they had understanding of the times. They understood that David was going to be king. They understood what was supposed to take place. It isn't that I prophetically believe what, I'll say it like this. It's not that I am a prophet and I know what's coming. I just know enough of history to know that history often repeats itself. And that history rhymes. And by understanding history, I can kind of get an understanding of how I should pray into the next events that are taking place. And so we're going to talk a lot about what's happening right now in Israel. So there's a major event, and most people don't realize, we're, we're gearing up for World War III. I mean, it, it is getting really intense. In May, we had a massive drill. And the massive drill actually was a five-front war. The, the Gaza front with Hamas, the Lebanon front with Hezbollah with 100,000 rockets, the front with Iran, the cyber warfare front, and now a new front, an internal civil war. This is a brand new situation. We were not in Arad, which is near the Dead Sea. That is where we live. Our house is completely isolated. We're surrounded by 120,000 Bedouins. In the last war, our town was completely cut off and isolated. What is happening inside of Israel is the Islamization of Israeli Arabs. Most people don't realize there are 1.5 million Arabs that have citizenship. And since 1980, we've gone from 80 mosques to over 400 mosques. When we moved to Arad in 2003, you drove down the highway, you did not see one minaret, one prayer tower. And now you see prayer towers all over. What we're seeing now is the Islamization of Israeli Arabs. In the last war, you had telephone poles knocked down. You had buses being stoned. It was a crazy time. In Lod, which is only two miles from the airport, they were yanking Jews out of cars. They were burning synagogues. It was a crazy time. So now Israel has actually set up a brand new defense network, a brand new branch of the defense actually to deal with an internal civil war. Now, the other thing that's, that's changing the balance is the fact that Israel's now taking another step in technology. We have the Iron Dome, and the Iron Dome is very effective. It actually shot down over 99% of the rocks that flew out of Gaza last week. Very effective. The, the problem is with the Iron Dome is when they fire a rocket, it only costs them about $3,000 to fire that rocket. Israel's technology is firing two rockets at that one rocket and learning where to intercept that rocket so when it intercepts it, actually the debris falls in the middle of nowhere. So you're using the special AI technology. It costs Israel $100,000 to shoot down a $3,000 rocket. Israel can go bankrupt very, very fast. However, Israel has now developed what's called the Iron Beam. 
And the iron beam now can intercept rockets and burn them up in the sky, and it costs about $3. So that's a major development. The other thing that's taking place is that Iran is really pushing toward nukes. They've now removed all the cameras. They, they've gone ahead and now have enough material to build three bombs. They, uh, they now are violating every kind of agreement. They're trying to make a new agreement, but it's really just another false agreement. But now Israel has now upgraded its military. We actually have put together a brand new bomb. It's going to actually be used because Iran is building a deep underground facility so deep that conventional warheads will not hit it. That's why the timeline is being pushed up. We are now, they, they believe that this will be, done, will be finished within the year. So all this is kind of stepping up. If they get the centrifuges, which actually enrich uranium, in those bunkers, we won't be able to touch it unless we actually send in ground forces. I don't think that's going to happen. So the, we are now at the place where Israel and the United States and, and a bunch of the other nations are gathering, and they're actually simult- simulating attacks on the Iranian facilities. Um, and now there's a, a new development is that The Biden administration has been thwarting Israel's attempts or actually leaking information about the underground war or the the war behind the scenes. People don't realize that Israel has actually been fighting Iran for over 10 years. This isn't a new war. I mean, Iranian scientists, uh, nuclear scientists have been targeted for a long time. And a lot of different, you know, major players inside of Iran's security apparatus that's trying to destroy Israel have been targeted and and they've been eliminated. Because the information has been leaked about how they've been assassinated and how they've been killed, Israel is is no longer telling the United States what exactly we're doing. There's now an intelligence disconnect. So it isn't like the Trump administration where Trump was informed about everything. This is an administration where... Uh, we, don't need to, we don't need to tell them everything. And, and this isn't very good. The, the other thing that took place is that Israel and the United States just signed this Jerusalem proclamation. And Jerusalem proclamation basically states that we will not let Iran build the bomb. Now, when they talk about this, it, it's a lot bigger than this. Because what people don't realize is that the, the Sunni nations are joining together to eliminate the Shiites. Um, Most people don't realize that the wars inside the Middle East aren't really Iraq and Iran and Syria. It really is a war between Shiites and Sunnis. Sunnis are the direct descendants of Muhammad, and they believe they're the ones that are going to lead the caliphate. The caliphate is the one world government under Islam. And they believe they have the right to it because they're the direct descendants of Muhammad. Shiites believe they're the spiritual descendants of Muhammad, that the Sunnis have corrupted Islam, and that they're the true leaders of Islam, restoring Islam back to its roots. They're the ones, now both sides believe in the Mahdi, which is their coming Messiah, but the Shiites really believe that they're going to bring this Mahdi to pass. The civil war that's happening in Yemen is because there's a Shiite prophecy that says that the Mahdi will come out of Yemen and retake Mecca, Medina, and purify it. So that's why the Sunnis, Saudi Arabia, is fighting Yemen, which is not Yemen. It's the Shiite Houthis. 
So once you start understanding the, the real situation here, and so what you have is Sunnis don't want to serve under Shiites, and Shiites don't want to serve under Sunnis, and so the Sunnis are gathering together with Israel. Sometimes the enemy of your enemy is sometimes your friend. That's what we're seeing right now. And so you have a situation where the Sunnis are gathering together to gear up against Iran. And so now a major development that happened this past, well, two weeks ago was that the Saudi Arabians allowed Israel to start flying over the airspace. And this is a major, major deal. Why? Because now no longer Israel has to either go the northern route and go through Syrian airspace to get to Iran, or go the southern route and go all the way around Saudi Arabia, around Egypt, and come up and around. It's a huge, long flight. Now they can fly straight across Saudi airspace. A major development, and that just took place two weeks ago. That changes the whole dynamic. But the other thing that's happening is there's a major, um, kind of a, a natural resource war happening in the Middle East. Lebanon and Israel have been, have been fighting over a, a contested gas field. Now, Israel has all the legal rights to it, but it really is on the border. And so it's going to be contested, and, and this is going to go on the courts for quite some time. But the point is that this gas field is, and not only this gas field, but another gas field called Leviathan, of all things, um, and, and if you start understanding Job and Leviathan, you know, it's a thing that kind of grapples and, you know, you think to yourself, what does this mean? Well, Egypt and, and Israel just signed an agreement, and they're going to go ahead and share gas. Israel's given Egypt gas, but now Egypt and Israel also are going to pipe gas straight into Europe. And for those that understand that gas problem wants to be the only supplier of natural gas into Europe, and one of the biggest shareholders of gas problem is Putin, now you start understanding why Putin is lining himself up against Israel. But it also kind of fits in the prophetic picture of talking about Gog and Magog when it says that these northern nations come against Israel to take a spoil or to take natural wealth. And so now this is all lining itself up. So now you have uh, Putin very upset about this brand new deal that Egypt and Israel signed. So this last, uh, this last event that took place, you know, obviously Israel fought about a three-day war, four-day war, tons of rockets flying out. But the major thing about this is that most of these rockets, a third of them didn't even leave Gaza. They actually struck within Gaza. Israel was able to decapitate the Islamic Jihad, which is a Shiite entity. Hamas is Sunni. Islamic Jihad is Shiite, directly funded by Iran. Their entire leadership was decimated and decapitated. Now, there's two different things that I think could happen because of this. One is that Lapid, okay, people often ask me what I think about different leaders of government. And so I, I try to give you a, 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 uh, an example of just so you can figure it out. Like, for example, people ask me what I think about Donald Trump. Donald Trump, to me, is like the old lady you're terrified to go to the restaurant with. The, the, the lady you take to the restaurant that says, my coffee's cold. I ordered my food 11 minutes ago. Where's my food? The no filter lady. That, that's kind of how I see, you know, they, they, you know they, they don't have a whole lot of time left. They don't, have, they don't care. That, 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 you know. So the modern example for me to understand Lapide He's a person that we've just given power to 
that we have no idea what he's going to do with it. So if you've ever been in ministry, the one thing you think, you, you, you have someone in ministry and you think, oh man, it's going to be great. I'm going to go ahead and move them up. And all of a sudden you give them a little bit of power and how did that person change? It's the same thing I'm thinking about Lapid. We just given him a little bit of power. He didn't, he didn't really earn it. And now what do we have now? Elections are to November. Now, praise God, this operation in, in, in August was a huge success. He may have said, I've now got this, this clout. I, I have a victory. I don't need to do anything. And we wait to November. Or he could say, man, I got everything. And if I finish this off, I, I'll, I'll be able to win the leadership in November. We have a window here. We don't have the feast till September 25th. I think we have a war inside the Middle East. It'll happen before basically uh, maybe September 15th. It'll have to happen a couple weeks before the feasts. So we're in a very tenuous spot. But the one thing that I, I, I look at events happening, I'm not a doom and gloomer. I'm actually understanding that God is trying to pour out his spirit. And, and we're in the middle of this birthing process. You know, we're birthing a kingdom. I never met a woman that said, I really love giving birth. I wish I could give birth for hours. Every person I've ever met that's given, please get this baby out of me, right? And, 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 but there's, there's an event that happens, but when you know when the water's broken, you better rush to the hospital because you know that baby's coming out. There ain't no time left. But before that baby comes and that water breaks, there's a whole lot of pressure and a whole lot of, and then all of a sudden that water breaks. I want to take you back uh, a little bit with me in time to 1967. Who was alive in 1967? Okay, I just want to see who was older than I was, that's all. <laughs> 1967, a six-day war took place. You had the age of Aquarius. You had the age of love. You had the age of free drugs. You had the age, this, this whole age and in the Six-Day War, I actually had a chance to, to spend time with Chuck Smith, who was the head of Calvary Chapel, and another guy, John Higgins, who's still alive. He just recovered from COVID, praise God. They were on the streets of Ashbury and Haight in the middle of Sodom and Gomorrah, I mean, uh, San Francisco. <laughs> in the middle of Hippie Central, when they said the Holy Spirit just came out. There was a war in the Middle East, a war fighting over Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit comes down in ways they never thought of. And all of a sudden, you had more Jews come to faith in those seven years than all 2,000 years before that combined. I mean, you're part of this Messianic congregation. You're birthed out of, ready, the Jesus movement. And it was all part connected to a war. See, I actually am anticipating not a revival, but an awakening. And the difference between a revival and an awakening is a revival happens within one specific branch, like a, a, a revival inside of one denomination, where an awakening transcends denominational lines. Do you understand the difference? Now, if you went back with me to the 1700s, now, I don't think anyone's alive in the 1700s. No one's raising their hands, thank God. Okay. 1700s. The world was facing what at that time was called the age of enlightenment or the age of reasoning. At that time, Voltaire said Christianity will be dead within 50 years. 
Now, the irony is that Voltaire, the great atheist, his house became a, a place where Bibles were printed by a Bible society later. So just a, the irony of all things. But in this age of reasoning, this age of enlightenment, was also the Great Awakening under Jonathan Edwards, under George Whitfield. And at that time, there was an understanding that was not yet revealed to the body, and that revelation was you can have a personal relationship with God. Before that time, everything was very orthodox. You went to a church. There wasn't such a thing as a personal relationship. And so all of a sudden, to, to counteract the age of enlightenment and the age of reason, God pours out his spirit and says, no, you can have a personal relationship with me. That's the revelation that comes out of the first great awakening. The second great awakening now is dealing with societal problems. Because at that time, we had slavery. At that time, we had children that were orphans that were forced into factories. You had all kinds of sins, and the church at that time saw the injustices and said, we need to stand up. An amazing thing takes place because in, in the first great awakening was you can have a personal relationship. And now within the American colonies was a thought, we don't need a king. Our king is Yeshua. And the second great awakening was now the revelation, hey, we need to abolish slavery. We need to abolish child slavery. We need to abolish, uh, you know, women ought to be able to vote. All these societal issues were birthed out of awakenings. That second great awakening birthed the Civil War and ended slavery, and also ended slavery across England. I mean, th th these are the things that were taking place. Th these awakenings were transcending denominational lines. The Third Great Awakening. After the Civil War in the, in the, in the 1880s, Charles Finney writes this book called Power From On High and starts speaking about you can be baptized in the Spirit of God and have power. At that time, D.L. Moody gets baptized in the Spirit. At that time, you know, revivals are taking place all across Australia, all across England, all across Europe, all across America. And now, all of a sudden, you can have the power of God. That leads into Azusa Street, leads into a lot of other awakenings. I'm going I'm to fast forward now to the, the 1960s because we're... The societal issue of the... the, the um, the Six-Day War, the 1967, was the age of Aquarius. Free love, false peace. You know, everyone was getting high. And it was no big thing in the 60s. An awakening awakened a crowd of people the church had said, we don't want anything to do with. I want you to understand that awakening took place amongst hippies that the church had already said, <laughs> you know, they're, 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 they're so lost, we can't help them. But it was these hippies that were so radically transformed, they said, hey, is this what the Bible says? We ought to be doing this. I'm bringing it now to this point. We're just seeing now the societal impact of wokeism. We see in the societal impact of all these things that are coming against us. And we think to ourselves, oh my goodness, it's the end of the world. No, it's the beginning of a kingdom.
And you have to understand that you can get so focused on the tares, so focused on all the things that are wrong, that you forget that the Lord said, do not rip up the tares with the wheat, lest you destroy the wheat. And that we are getting ready to see a, another transformation. I truly believe this next great awakening is going to happen because some kind of war is going to take place in the Middle East. And it's going to unlock an outpouring of the God's spirit. And you ready for this? I really believe the next wave of revival is going to be happening from people that came out of the LGBT. I believe it's going to be people that came out of transgenderism. I believe it's people that came out of all these different things. See, we have to recognize that God is going to lift up a standard against it. Now, if we go ahead and start becoming God and start judging, then we're judging what God's getting ready to do. I really believe this next wave is going to be so, every wave unlocks something new. I really believe this next wave is the whole the merging together of one new man, Jew and Gentile, one and Messiah, that we're getting ready to usher in the king. Next slide. All these men of war raided in battle or came out with a whole heart to make David king of Israel. David's army was not, they didn't all get along, but they had a purpose, and the purpose was to make David king. If our purpose as a body is to make Yeshua king over the entire world, it's going to transcend denominational lines. It's going to transcend the things that divide us. And we're going to get focused on the things that unite us. And I'm not talking about ecumenicalism. I am not talking about that because you do not forsake doctrine for unity. But what I am saying is that the things that divide us, whether or not we should have a glass of wine and we shouldn't have a glass of wine, shouldn't divide us. What we should recognize is that we all, if we believe that, that Yeshua is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and, and you believe that this Bible is the Word of God and this is what we follow, you're my brother and you're my sister. Now, how you may interpret something, you look, don't, don't let that get you all messed up. But what I really believe that is getting ready to take place is this war is coming. And this war is coming because God is birthing something, that we're birthing a kingdom. That we're birthing, and, and in order to birth the kingdom, you know, you're going to have this water-breaking movement. And I guarantee you that a woman, when that water was broken, they were like, this pain is getting really intense. This situation is becoming intense. But at the same time, they know that baby's coming, and the joy is overwhelming her. That baby is out, that baby, and the joy is overwhelming, the pain is overwhelming. That's where we are. We're entering this time where everything seems going to get a little crazy. It's okay. We're birthing a kingdom. And the Spirit of God is getting ready to move in ways I don't think we've, we really anticipate yet. I know what happened in the past that helps me understand what's getting ready to happen in the future. If you start understanding that events happen in the Middle East, it's not meant to freak you out. It's to better equip you it's also to give you a sense of urgency because we got to get a sense of urgency. Like how much time do we have left? We, we don't have a whole lot of time left. It is time, to, it is time to start springing through the finish line. It is time to finish this race strong. It is time to go ahead and finish this race. So Abba, Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would remove all spirit of fear. I ask you, Father, that you would overwhelm this whole congregation, Father, with a fresh spirit of revival. 
I ask you, Father, that you would pour out your anointing fresh and new upon every person here. And I thank you, Abba, for what you're doing in this place. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Um, just some um, advertising notes. Uh, if you want to sign up for a worthy brief, if you don't get our worthy briefs, it's free. You can't get cheaper than free. We also created a brand new app. This app, if you want to, if you go out to the table, I'll give you the instructions for it. This app uh, allows you not only to get worthy news, but we literally cover what's happening in the world, in the United States, in Israel, but from like 50 different news sources. The cool thing about the app, right? Let's say you click the Israel tab. You can literally click Times of Israel and see the Times of Israel headlines as they happen. The Jerusalem Post, I-24, which is the uh, AFP version um, that's given in English to Israelis. Uh, Yidiot, which is the leading newspaper inside of Israel. Ynet is what, how you would say it in English. But literally every site at the hands of your fingertip, and you don't have to use all kinds of apps. Thank you all for having us. Listen, do not freak out. God is getting ready to do something really, really special. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.